everyone, especially Janae Kramer, her work in leadership yesterday, and all the children's uh, ministry staff for their work as well. As we open up the Word of God this morning, let's have a word of prayer and talk to our Heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you for who you are. All that we do, Lord, is for you. It's all for you, Jesus. The Harvest Fest, it was for you. Every ministry that goes on here, Lord, it's for you. This morning is for you. Lord, we are yours. We are for you. And Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, our hearts will be ready to receive what you want to teach us. Lord, help us to know that your word is an amazing gift to our lives. I pray, God, that our hearts will be ready to receive it. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. Thank you for the relationship we can have with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you call us your friends. And we're so grateful. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series entitled Ordinary Superheroes of the Old Testament. You know, there's so many superhero movies that are coming out left and right. I want people to know that, that they're all like fairy tales, right? They're, they're, they're not true. But this is real. Ordinary people who mean an extraordinary God and change the world. And, and that's really all of us, by the way. All of us have the opportunity to be an ordinary person, amen, we're all ordinary people, that are changed by an extraordinary God. And that's exciting to me. I'm encouraged, I hope you are, that God can use even my shortcomings and failures and failings and somehow he can use me to be part of building his kingdom. And I want you all to grasp that reality. You can be part of building the eternal kingdom of God to make an impact for Jesus Christ. We're really called to do that. That's part of our calling. If we don't do that, we're disobeying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We uh, talked about Adam and Eve in the beginning of this series and the fall of mankind as Adam and Eve fell into sin. We talked about Abel, one of their sons, who gave an offering of faith to God. And his brother was so jealous, he murdered his own brother, Cain did, murdered his own brother, Abel. Then we talked about Noah, a man who obeyed God when it was extremely difficult. He obeyed God and trusted God. And no one responded to this message of, hey, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And you need to repent. You need to change. No one responded. And Noah and his family entered the ark, and God judged the earth for its terrible sins. Then we talked about the Tower of Babel and how people there, they uh, built this tower to make a name for themselves, not to glorify God. And then last week we spoke about Abraham and his failure of faith. We talked about when fear and faith collide. How when Abraham went down to Egypt, he lied. He told the people there that Sarah was his sister. He didn't mention that she was his wife. Why? To protect himself. Even though God had made these amazing promises to Abraham. That his descendants would become a great nation and out of him would come many nations. Well, Abraham had a failure of faith down in Egypt. And today I want to talk about this. It's a difficult passage. Abraham, his faith is tested, but it becomes this amazing victory of faith. You know, Abraham uh, truly was a hero in the Old Testament. And this passage that we're going to read is a very familiar passage. And it's always difficult for a pastor, by the way, to preach on a familiar passage. 
Because people just kind of turn you off and say, I've read this so many times. I've heard it so many times. But my prayer this morning is that you would look at it in a fresh and a new way. And be reminded that this story, which for many people is shocking. For many people, it's horrific. I had a woman a couple weeks ago, I was talking to her on the phone. She was asking about our church, and we began talking about the Word of God. And she said to me over the phone, she said, yeah, and the whole thing about God asking a dad to kill his own son, I mean, what's that all about? And I said to her, you know, as horrific as that sounds, it actually is a beautiful passage that talks to us about God's love for us. It's a passage in its horror that reminds us of God's love for us. And it is powerful. You know, Abraham had what we call the Abrahamic covenant made with him by God. In Genesis 12, God said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed that God was working out his salvation plan. God was working out his salvation plan, which has hopefully impacted every person in this room, that you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, that you realize exactly why Jesus died on the cross. He wasn't a weak martyr that had failed in giving out his message, and he was misunderstood by the world. Oh, we're so sad that he got nailed to the cross. That isn't the story of Jesus. We know today That the story of Jesus is this, that he came to the world as the Lamb of God to lay down his life for you and for me, for our sins. And he went to the cross in power, not in failure. And the story of the cross ends in victory, not in defeat. That's why we're here today. And today I want to talk about this. Abraham doing the unthinkable. Doing the unthinkable. I know for many people, opening up your Bibles to this passage is, is beyond something that you want to do. It, it's, you don't even like turning there, but we're going to do it this morning. Because I believe that in doing the unthinkable, Abraham has an amazing victory of faith. And this moment in Abraham's life would become a moment that he would look back on and say, you know what, this is my moment when I was tested by God and I came through. Not like I failed in Egypt, but this time I had a victory of faith. And as you know, Abraham was called to leave his place called Ur. I have it up there on the map. Ur is right there down by the Persian Gulf. He was to leave Ur and follow God not knowing where God would take him. And God had led him to the promised land, way over there. We now know of it as Israel today, the land of Israel. He followed God to this promised land, and he obeyed God in this amazing passage in the Bible. The bottom line of our talk today is this. One of the most shocking accounts in all of God's word becomes a poignant and powerful moment that demonstrates not only Abraham's amazing love for God, but even more powerfully, God's awesome love for us. God's awesome love for us. Why don't you turn your Bibles to Genesis 22. I'd like to have all of our Bibles open this morning as we, we read this very famous but very powerful passage. Genesis 22 says this, verse 1. 
After these things, God, here it is, tested Abraham. By the way, do we get tested today? By God, absolutely. We get tested by God. Don't think this is something that God just did to Abraham. Now, you've had many tests in your life, all through school, all through uh, whatever training you've had at work. You've had many tests. When you went to get your driver's license, you had a test. There are many tests. God tests us as well to help us identify the weaknesses in our lives spiritually, to help us identify, oh, this is where I can grow. I didn't realize this was my weakness. I need to grow here. This is an area in which I need to change. Abraham was tested by God, and God said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. God said, here it is, one of the hardest verses in the Bible to read. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now here's another amazing part of God's word. There's no rebuttal on Abraham's part. Now you wonder, did God teach Abraham amazing things through the failure of faith down in Egypt? Did God teach Abraham amazing faith through even the fact that he disobeyed God and had a son with his servant girl Hagar, even though that was the custom of the day. Abraham and Sarah weren't having children, and God had promised that his descendants would become a great nation, in fact, many nations. And earlier in Genesis, Abraham began to doubt God's promise, took matters into his own hands and had relations with Hagar, and Hagar gave birth to a son by the name of what? Ishmael, right, exactly. But Ishmael was not the son of promise. Abraham was rebuked for his lack of faith. Abraham, I told you that you and Sarah would have descendants. You doubted me. And God gave them this amazing son by the name of Isaac. And Abraham loved Isaac. It was the son of of promise. He was the son of promise. He was the one that would fulfill all the promises that God had given Abraham. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go there and worship and come again to you. Now, many scholars believe this is a a true statement of faith by Abraham. Abraham said, hey, we're going to go and we're going to offer a burnt offering and then we will come back to you and we'll come again to you. See, there are many people that believe that even in being asked to offer his own son. Abraham believed that God would raise his own son from the dead. We're going to go. We're going to come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on on Isaac, his son. Isaac is carrying his own wood up the mountain, the wood on which he would be laid as a burnt offering to God. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, And Abraham said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. 
When they came to the place for which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son. Can you imagine that moment? As Abraham begins to bind his own son, his son saying, Dad, what, what are you doing? Father, what are you doing? Why am I being bound? And he laid his son on the altar on top of the wood. <sighs> so hard to even read, right? If you have a son or any child, you know how difficult that must have been. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket of his horns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. What's the tense of this? It's future, right? It's not past. The normal response would have been, the Lord has provided. But that's not the tense that's used. The Lord will provide. The ram had already been offered. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it what? It not, not it was provided, it what? Shall be provided. Many scholars of the Old Testament have wondered, why did Abraham use that tense? Why was that tense used? And I believe, as they do, that it is a beautiful foreshadowing of what God would do on that very mountain. Before we get there, I want to give you this first point. Follow God's commands even when you fully don't understand the why. When you don't fully understand the why, follow God's commands. See, Abraham was tested. It was a process used for evaluation. This is the, the Webster's Dictionary definition of the word test. A process used for evaluation or diagnosis with a goal of improvement. Let me tell you today, every day we're tested. Every day God, his desire is to improve us. God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He has a goal for us to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Every day we're tested. When you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off, it's a test. It's a test. And I have failed that test a few times. I've been frustrated. I've been angry. But I realize that I do the same thing, right? I, I'm the same kind of driver at times. I cut somebody off when I shouldn't have or I cut in when I shouldn't have. I realize my own failures. When something happens with a friend of yours that's disappointing, it's a test. God's testing you. Now, he didn't cause the sinful actions of others, but he can use the sinful actions of others to bring about something good. What's the main example of that in the Word of God? Using the negative actions of some, someone to bring about, or some group of people, to bring about something good. What's the number one example of that in Scripture? The cross, right? God didn't cause Jesus to be nailed to a piece of wood. Those are decisions made by Pilate. Sinful actions, but God used the sinful actions of others to bring about an amazing, awesome result that has changed our eternities. 
And God's doing the same thing in this world, in this sinful world. He can use the sinful actions of others to identify an area of weakness in our lives. I'm going to uh, take the word test and give it a biblical definition. An opportunity permitted, that's key by the way, permitted, he didn't cause it, or designed by God. Sometimes he does cause it. He designs it, which utilizes difficult circumstances to identify for us areas of growth or truths to be affirmed as he conforms us to Jesus Christ. He wants to identify in me and in you areas that need to grow up and to change. Rough edges in our lives that are not in accordance with the image of Christ. Every day it happens. Because every day we're confronted with the opportunity to disobey God or obey him. To follow him or not. To respond by faith or respond in fear or failure. My friends... We're to respond in faith. Abraham passes this test. It's an amazing opportunity for us to learn from Abraham in this horrific passage. There are a number of different kind of tests. Let me uh, give them to you. One uh, category of tests is those that are beyond your control, like an illness or a sickness. Uh, I've had a couple of my friends, and I've been with them uh, during this process, that have passed away from cancer. Uh, one very good friend of mine, I have his picture in my office. We would meet every Wednesday. We'd uh, get into the Word together, study together one-on-one. And uh, this was back in Chicago. And, and he had a brain tumor and passed away within a year. We prayed for a healing for him. But that tumor conquered his body and he died. It was a test of not only our faith, but his faith as well. Very difficult process. And sometimes illness and sickness can be a very difficult test in our lives to trust God in the midst of our struggle and our pain. A loss of a loved one. Losing a loved one is a test. Will we become bitter towards God because we lost that loved one? Or will we draw near to God and get better rather than bitter? Loss of a loved one is a test. Persecution can be a test. People who mock us or, or make fun of our faith or put us down or laugh at us for our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, persecution here is nothing like it is around the world. I hope you realize that. That around the world every day, a couple hundred people die as a result of the fact that they claim to be a follower of Jesus. Their lives are taken. That's a test. It's a test for the church and the, those that remain. Will I continue to trust God? See, we, we need to... Remember that God's plan often isn't our plan. God's ways are higher than our ways. And we need to do as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. We can pray for our desires. The Bible tells us to do that. But if our desires aren't lived out in our lives, if another plan is lived out in our lives, then God has a reason for that, and we need to submit to the plan of God. Here's another category of tests. It's this. It's God's discipline. It's in response to our sin. It's an act of love. The goal is always restoration. You read in the book of Corinthians how some people were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were taking the, the, the bread and the cup and abusing it. And the Bible says because of that, some people are sick and some even what? Sleep which is a euphemistic way of saying their lives were taken because they were abusing the Lord's table. That's an act of discipline by God. 
And God will at times do that because he's a loving father. That's what Hebrews says. Every child who's loved by his father is disciplined. So you need to know your father loves you perfectly. And he will discipline me if I begin to go down a path that I should not go. Here's a third category of tests. It's a consequence of our sin. You know, if I go and rob a bank, right, that would be a bad thing. Pastor robs bank. That would be in the paper the next day, right? That would be a very bad story, right? That's a decision that I made. I can't blame God for that. That's my will. I've done my will. I've made a decision to do my thing. Now, now here's the test. As a believer in Christ, I've disobeyed God. How will I now respond? See, the test is that even while I'm in prison, right, for robbing a bank, I can begin to be a light for him. I can begin to say, you know what, I blew it. I, well, I shouldn't have walked in and robbed that bank. I shouldn't have done it. But I can turn that situation into an opportunity to share Christ. Talk about my own failures and how I need to stay close to the Lord. See, God is testing us in every one of those categories. How will we respond to him? How will we uh, live our lives in response to that test? If you have your Bibles, keep your finger in Genesis 22. Turn over to James chapter 1. Here's another familiar passage, but we often forget it. But it's very powerful, very challenging. For me it is. I hope it is for you too. James 1 verse 2 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I've just given you the various kinds of trials that you're going to experience. For you know that the testing, there it is again, right? The testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach and it will be given to him. James is saying this, this is what life is like. Every trial you have is a testing of your faith. It's a process. At the very beginning, the trials will come. We live in a sinful world, they'll come. God is testing us through those trials. It's a testing of your faith. Do you believe God through this process? And sadly, there are so many people who say, yes, I believe God. Of course I believe God. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. But the moment they're tested, their hearts become bitter. The moments they're tested, they decide to do things their own way. My friends, we are Christians. We are followers of Christ. Like I said to this this one uh, lady at the party my wife and I were at about a month ago, we were there celebrating a neighbor's birthday. And she said, well, you, 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 you believe that if you don't believe in Jesus, they're, they're not going to heaven. And I said, well, we are Christians. We follow what Jesus taught. Let me give you a verse that teaches that. And what verse do you think I gave? A very familiar verse. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world. Great verse. We all know it. We can all get, share that verse with people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. There's the bad news. Here's the good news. But have eternal life. Now, we might disagree with that. We might think, oh, no, all roads lead to God and we're all going to get there eventually. But you're in contradiction to the teachings of Jesus, I told her. We're Christians. We follow the teachings of Christ. That happens, too, when we open up the book of James. 
right? The testing of your faith. What you need is steadfastness. I've used another word here, perseverance. What does that imply? It implies the testing of your faith is difficult. You don't need perseverance if the testing of your faith is an easy thing. You need perseverance if it's difficult. And testings are difficult. They're hard. We get that. And what's the goal? The goal is this, to be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. What does that imply? It's implying that we're going to be like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal of the test, that we would become mature in our faith, that we would grow up. And my prayer is that when you leave this place, you realize my faith is not just about Sunday morning. It's not just about uh, what we do here at Riverview. I'm going to take my faith with you and bring it to the workplace, to my home, uh, to my neighborhood, in my own personal private time. I'm going to allow my faith to change me. My priorities of what I read changes because I'm going to open up the Word of God and read it and let it feed me and grow me up. And in all of this, here's the amazing thing. We're to count it all joy. You might say, well, Mel, that seems so uh, counterintuitive uh, that we would count it joy when trials hit our lives. Here's where the joy comes from, my friends. That God is intimately involved in your life. That even in these trials, you are not forgotten. In these trials, you are not left alone. In these trials, they are not trials without a purpose. They are trials with a purpose. That God is at work in our lives today. He's at work in your life And that ought to bring us joy that you mean God in every one of the moments that I'm tested in my faith. It's an indication that God is at work in my life. Yes, that should bring me joy. That should bring me joy. I am not forgotten. I am not walking through this life alone. I'm walking with a God who's working in my life each and every day. See, joy is this, the state of inner well-being and satisfaction that comes from knowing and serving a sovereign, holy God. Joy is different than happiness, by the way. I hope you know that. All of us at times are happy. If we lose a loved one, for example, that's not a happy time. That's a sadness there. You're losing someone you love and that you will miss. But even in that sadness, you can have a joy knowing that there's a God who is in control, a God who's working in my life, who's growing me up, who's going to work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his promise. See, the Lord not only wants us to be saved, But he also wants us to be changed, to be more like his son. He loves us too much to leave us in our state of immaturity. He wants to grow you up. He wants to build you up to be more like Jesus. So you now have a perspective on this world and this life that comes from the word of God and comes from modeling your life after Jesus Christ. We'll never be perfectly like him. That'll never happen. But the goal is always there. See, testing is one of the tools that God uses to accomplish this. Abraham was tested. And I believe with all my heart that in this horrific test, in this shocking test, Abraham would use this moment as a source of strength the rest of his life. That even when I was asked to sacrifice my own son, you know what, I went all the way to the edge to do it until I was stopped by God. It's a source of strength for me. And God said amazing words to Abraham that day because of his faith in God. See, here's some biblical truths about trials and tests that I want to share with you. Here's biblical truth number one. And they're pretty basic, right? Here it is. Trials are to be expected. Please don't be shocked 
when a trial comes your way. Please don't think God is failing you when a trial comes your way. And I've had people say that, and I get it. I know that one day something will hit me and it's going to be difficult. And there will come that thought, oh man, has God forgotten me? Has God, has God kind of left me here all alone? See, trials are to be expected. Tragedies are to be expected in this world. Because we live in a sinful world, but often we forget it. That's the reality of James 1 too. Count it all joy, my brothers, not if you encounter trials of various times. What's the word that's used there? When? It's going to happen. Trials are going to happen. Here's the next thing. Trials by their very nature will be difficult. That's why perseverance is needed. Here's another thing. Joy comes by knowing God is working in the trial. Not necessarily joy in the trial, but that God is working in the trial. I don't have to say, oh, I'm so happy I have this disease. I have a lot of joy. No, I have joy in that God is working through this trial of the disease that I'm experiencing, this illness that I'm having. I have a God who's at work. And here's the fourth thing. Trials have a positive, edifying goal that becomes apparent in time. The goal may not be apparent at the very moment. It became apparent to Abraham when he was stopped by God, when he did not sacrifice his son because God told him not to. But what often happens is this. We allow sin to get in the way. We allow sinful thoughts to get in the way of God's goal for our lives. There's a verse in Psalm 66 that says this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Wow. So if I have sin in my life and I regard it, that means I kind of protect it and I continue in it and I practice it. There's a sin barrier that develops between me and God. He won't hear me. See, there should be open communication between God and me as one of his children. But if I allow sin into my life as a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden there's this relational sin barrier. There's this sin that's keeping me from a close fellowship with God. Once that is dealt with, once I confess it, once the Holy Spirit convicts me of it and I recognize the sin for what it is, that's what confess really means. It comes from the word homo logeo. Homo means the same. Logeo, to save. To say the same thing about my sin that God says about it, that's confession. God, I realize this is a sin. It needs to be dealt with. I need to get rid of it. I need to take whatever steps I need to take to get it out of my life. That's homologeo. That means to confess it. Once you confess it, that relationship is restored again between you and God, that close relationship. You're still a child throughout the process. You're still one of his children. You haven't been kicked out of the kingdom because of a sin. But if we regard iniquity in our hearts, it damages our close relationship with God. See, in trials, my friends, I know they're difficult. But we need to see this God working in our life. Here's a second major point. It's this. Trust God's provision even without fully comprehending the wow. Or the how, I mean. Even without fully comprehending the how. I'm going to trust God's provision. I'm taking, Abraham was, his own son up to this mountain. And he talked about God providing the lamb. And behind these statements, I see words of faith that something is going to happen. I trust God's promise that my descendants will become a great nation. So either Isaac will be raised from the dead or the plan will change. Even if I kill my own son, God will raise up my son from the dead. That's why he said, well, we're going to go and worship and we will come back. 
See, who God is and where God wants to take me gives me joy no matter what God utilizes. This was an horrific moment in the life of Abraham and Isaac, but God was going to use it. These words of faith, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Scholars saying again and again, Abraham believed that God would raise up his son from the dead even if he offered him up as a sacrifice. Here's point number three. Accept God's timing even without fully knowing the when. Accept God's timing. You might say, well, God, I want to know why I'm going through this and I want to know it now. We need to accept God's timing. Abraham had to lift up the knife to slaughter his own son before he knew God's purposes and God's plan. So in the midst of your trial, whatever it is, I want to challenge you, have faith in God. God is faithful and will bring a good result. In the midst of your trial, trust God's word, the authority of the word of God, that it builds in you a biblical way of looking at the world. Please don't fall into this trap of, oh, this all came about by an atheistic process of evolution. Impossible. There's a God behind it all. And if it is, it made sense. He reached out to us. And the most amazing, awesome life that ever lived on this planet is Jesus. That's why we trust him and believe in him. Here's the third thing. Fight the good fight. Realize living in this world is a fight dependent upon God, a dependent striving every day in our walk with God. But there's a joy knowing that God is walking with us. That will give us joy and strength and growth. But here's the beauty of this passage. God did not require Abraham to do anything that he himself would not do. Indeed, the command to Abraham was intended to foreshadow what he would do centuries later on the cross of Calvary. See, at that place, Mount Moriah is where the temple was built. We read it here, right? Take this, your son Moriah to a mountain I will show you. It was Mount Moriah, in which Solomon began to build the temple of God, Solomon's temple on Mount Moriah. That was the city of Jerusalem, where the city would be built. And now we know Jerusalem today as being on a mount, like you go up to the temple mount, right? Because the temple was built on a mount. And Jerusalem was on a mount, Mount Moriah, It's an amazing city if you've gone there. Tremendous opportunity to to walk the streets and and places where Jesus walked. We know about Calvary, right? You've probably heard about Gordon's Calvary. Gordon's Calvary, it it identified this place uh, that could be the place where Jesus was crucified. You know, the Bible talks about it being at the place of the skull. I was there and saw this mountain. You can almost see what looks like a skull. Let me kind of amplify it a little bit. This mountain that appears to look like a skull. Scholars believe that was the very hill on which Jesus was crucified. When Isaac took the wood and carried the wood up the hill, it was a beautiful foreshadowing of God's son who would carry his wood up the hill. His cross piece up the hill. The reality is this. This shocking yet beautiful and powerful picture of God doing what he did not allow Abraham to do. 2,000 years after this horrific moment, this is what I was telling the lady on the phone. What God did not allow Abraham to do, God did not allow Abraham to sacrifice his own son. 
2,000 years later, for you and for me, God would sacrifice his son, I believe, on that very same hill. He would go through and do what he did not allow Abraham to do as an awesome demonstration of his love for us. See, the horror of Genesis 22 is a living, eternal illustration of the horror we should feel knowing that God sacrificed his own son for you and for me. It's the core belief of our faith, my friends. Abraham was willing to do the unthinkable, but God stopped him. But God did the unthinkable. God offered up his son for you and for me. And my prayer would be every one of you today when you leave this place, would have a new appreciation for what God did for you. That you would worthy if, be, realize that if a God loves me this much, that I want to be living a life worthy of the calling to which God has called me. I want to live a life worthy of what Jesus had called me to do and be in this world. God did the unthinkable. He gave his son for you and for me on the cross. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts together. And by the way, today, if you've not made a decision for Christ, if you've not placed your faith and trust in Christ, God did the unthinkable for you. And all you need to do is tell him, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive my sins. I invite you into my life to take control of my life today. From this day forward, Lord, I want to live for you. I receive your free gift of eternal life today because of the price you paid on the cross for my sins. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, then you're forgiven. You're adopted into the family of God. And you've become one of his children. Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise for what you've done in our lives. And we lift you up and glorify you. And we pray all this in your matchless name. Amen, amen. Let's all stand and sing this chorus. So we raise up holy hands to praise the Holy One who was and is and is to come. Yeah, we raise up holy hands to praise the Holy One who elders in front who love to pray with you. Please greet one another, love one another, and live this week. All for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.
for eternal days we will bring eternal